Hello ninjas and ninjas. Welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim. I run Exposure Ninja, which is a digital agency in the UK, and I also host the podcast. This podcast is all about helping you generate more leads and sales through your website and through your digital marketing. And with that goal in mind, I'm delighted to welcome this week to the show, Jessica Jolio. Now, Jessica is a bit of a social media guru. We actually found her online through an amazing Snapchat article she'd written. And she's come onto the show to talk about how businesses can use social media more effectively, particularly through storytelling. Now, Jessica's pedigree is strong. She went to Dunkin' Donuts to set up their social campaigns. She worked at TripAdvisor as well, also getting started with their social media. So she has a great background in large company social social media. And then from there, she's moved into smaller company social media as well. So she's got a really broad background and she's been able to pull out experiences and common threads through all of this. So really fascinating talk with Jessica. She shares lots of examples about how businesses can be using social more effectively. So if you're super frustrated and thinking the social is a complete waste of time, then check out this episode. I hope you enjoy it. As always, don't forget to head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash podcast for the show notes and to claim your free website and digital marketing review, where we'll also design you a social media strategy to help you compete better online. Anyway, without further ado, enjoy the show. Well, Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. Awesome. So for those who aren't familiar with you, perhaps you could give a quick intro into what you're all about. Absolutely. So I have worn a lot of hats throughout my career, but what is consistent about my background is that I'm passionate about storytelling and helping companies to really build amazing brands focused around the customer and bringing compelling stories to life. So I've worked in-house for a number of large companies and also startups as well. So I was at TripAdvisor when they were in their startup phase. And then I went to go run social media for Dunkin' Donuts, which was a job with many sweet perks. Um, yes, lots of lots of free coffee and donuts, um, and I took advantage of all of it. Believe me. And then from there, I actually had an unbelievable opportunity to write a book on visual storytelling with one of my dear friends, which I'm sure we'll chat about later. And you know, from there, I've I've moved to London since then. So I made the move across the pond. I've worked for Sprinkler for a number of years in Europe, which is enterprise social media software company. And now I'm actually running my own business and writing my next book. So I'm, I'm really living kind of, you know, my, my vision of the marketer's dream, which is really focusing on what I'm passionate about, giving back, helping other marketers and, and just being as creative as possible, which is, which is my happy place. <laughs> awesome. And I guess the great thing about that journey as well is that you've seen what you're talking about in huge, huge companies and in very, very small micro businesses. So you get to look at the principles which have applied and have been consistent across all of that. I don't know how you see it, but for me, it looks like we're seeing a bit of a uh, an ever-widening gulf between companies, either large or small, who are getting great results from social media, for example, and those that are getting absolutely nothing, they're frustrated, you know, they're just posting every day, nothing coming back in return. And eventually they say, right, social doesn't work. 
what's the difference between those two experiences in in your in your experience to me it comes down to the customer because if you think about why social media launched in the first place it was all about us building better connections with people that we care about right so when facebook launched it's about us connecting with friends with family staying it's staying in touch right for me as an expat i couldn't imagine my life without social media because it's how it's a lot of how I message with my friends and family back home in the United States. So really I think what's lost with companies is we've forgotten about the customer and the customer experience. We know that there's a lot of value to get from marketing, advertising, lead generation through social media, but for the companies that aren't succeeding, I would challenge them to go back and audit, well what do my customers actually want from me when it comes on social media? What channels are they on? Are they looking for a very quick customer service response? Are they looking for content from my company that helps me be better at my job or to use their products and services more efficiently? Or are they looking to be entertained and maybe they don't care about what my brand is having to pitch, but they want to go on social media to look for funny content or recipes or fashion inspiration? And how does my brand fit into that? So I think those are the questions companies have to be asking. And then that's really where you can optimize a lot of kind of the tactics that go around it, whether it's content, kind of the paid advertising that you're doing, or perhaps maybe some of the customer service or community management that you're doing there. So I guess to flesh that out a bit, you're well known as as the person who kind of kickstarted the Dunkin' Donuts social media visibility. And, and they're actually now one of the you know, they're an often cited example of a brand doing social right and getting some great results. So perhaps you could take us back to that experience, you know, where were they when you started? And, and how did you approach designing a strategy, working out what the stories were going to be? And, and what were your goals for that campaign? Yeah, so I think what was amazing, the opportunity at Dunkin Donuts was an amazing and, and very much career defining one for me. And what was so special about it is it's, it is a big brand. I don't uh, kind of sit here in front of you and say, oh, well, you know, no one's ever heard of us. It's, it's a brand that's invested heavily in traditional marketing for years, TV, radio, out of home. And they certainly have a large footprint in the United States. But what surprised me when we went into social media was when I started to actually audit the, you know, the customers of Dunkin' Donuts on social. So back then I was really looking at YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. Those were kind of the, the three the three ones that were out there at the time. And I'm sure I'm dating myself even saying that. But it's true, right? Look at how social has grown and evolved. It's amazing. And what really struck me was there was this passion from customers about the brand from day one. How many companies can say that people were going out of their way to share them pictures of their coffee cup and saying, oh my gosh, I could not have survived Monday without this cup of coffee. Or, you know, it's Friday, I'm going to treat myself to a donut like I haven't had one in a month. Um, you know, or it's the weekend and I'm taking my kids out for munchkins at Dunkin' because my wife needs a few hours to herself. So, you know, you know, fair enough, right? But what you start to realize is, A, there's a lot of passion for the brand, and B, there's a lot of micro stories that go under this brand. And if you looked at... Even at the time and now, Duncan's mantra has always been about how they can keep busy people on the go running. When you start to layer in kind of the customer who's on social and they're on a smartphone, they're tweeting you like just as they've left the store. And, you know, 
it could be a positive experience, a neutral experience, or a negative experience. But for me, what really struck out was, yes, customer service needs to be a huge part of the strategy because that is a big you know, chunk of the messages that we get. But there's also an incredibly and overwhelmingly positive element. So the, the mantra that we introduced was, we don't own our social channels, our fans do. And if we are going to win on social media, we need to focus on all of our content, all of our community management, all of our customer service, any brand partnerships we do, any advertising that we do. It needs to be under the lens of what customers want to hear from us. And we started to analyze, you know, doing a lot of social listening and said, well, what do they actually, what do they actually want to hear from us? They wanted to understand new products, where to find hard to find products, as well as when is Dunkin' Donuts going to open up a store location in fill in the blank. So some very tactical things, right? Which, you know, not incredibly hard to answer for. But then on the other flip side, for those that were actually proactively sharing, they wanted to be acknowledged for sharing, right? It's you go out of your way to take a picture. Maybe you expect a response or you don't. But if we can bring a funny little bit of a quirky or irreverent kind of response to the table, we found that the vast majority of our customers would actually retweet our responses or share our responses on Facebook. And we started to realize the power of the word of mouth that goes around this because then their their friends would say, oh my gosh, Duncan responded to you and shared with you. Um, So that really ticked off a lot of boxes for us, as well as I was a one-man band in the beginning. Obviously, I had a little bit of agency resource, but very minor. I was copywriting and taking a lot of the brand pictures myself and with my then BlackBerry, so cringe, but um, <laughs> you know, the mm-hmm. iPhone camera qualities have come a long way. So there's a lot more you can do now just from your smartphone. But you know, back then I was literally just working with the culinary team and grabbing, kind of having them make products for me, taking pictures of them and putting the content out. So you know, a lot of what drove efficiencies for me was also user-generated content. So these people that were sharing their stories and their images, I would message them and say, could I share that on our channels? And a lot of times they were very happy to do that. So it also provided, you know, an efficiency for me where, you know, I I like to think I'm an okay photographer, but I'm not a world-class one. So being able to mine those customer stories and those customer images really gave us a lot of great content ideas. Because if you're seeing themes like, I'm taking my kids to Dunkin' on the weekend, or you know, it's my Monday morning pick-me-up, or the donut treat I've been craving, you start to realize that these are great content stories to share as your social content. You're still talking about your products, right? You're still keeping your brand top of mind, but you're also being incredibly relatable and keeping that busy community of customers that are kind of on the go, kind of entertained educated about new menu items, but also they can kind of rally together around some of those themes, which was a huge game changer for us, especially when you look at the competitive landscape out there where maybe some of our competitors could outspend us significantly. And we were kind of the little engine that could kind of building ROI around the program to then say, well, we should actually invest a bit more budget in this. So I felt like I was a bit of the scrappy person in the trenches for a bit and then, you know, after a bit of time, when I was able to really showcase the return on investment and the value of growing this community, we were able to start doing some more of the, you know, if, if you Google me, some of the more, you know, exciting kind of really cool media campaigns and partnerships that we ended up doing later into my career there. 
for the business owner or marketing manager who's listening and saying, well, no one's tweeted me for <laughs> months. <laughs> like, how, how do they start to identify those stories that you mentioned, those kind of mini subplots that are going on with, uh, with their company or with their products? So here's the thing, just because it doesn't happen, uh, you know, it might not happen on social, doesn't mean it can't go on to social. Because I would challenge any business owner that's not getting feedback or customer stories through customer service channels, through email, through face-to-face interactions, through your sales executives that are out in the field kind of selling on your behalf. There definitely is a way that you're getting customer stories or how are people using your products or services? What do they love about it? What are their pain points on it? All of these things can be turned into compelling stories for social media. So that's a great way to kind of start to mine some of those kind of key content pillars and then focus on giving back there. Because even if you have a frequently, say you build like a frequently asked question section on your website, you could be using that in your community management on social media if you get asked questions. If you don't get asked questions, then maybe you want to put together how-to articles on some of those frequently asked questions. And then you can use, you know, social advertising and other kind of tactics to get that in front of the right, whether it's a current customer or our prospective customer. And what would be the the goals for some of these campaigns? You know, I'm, I'm imagining a small business owner or marketing manager who's sitting in front of probably five or six different digital marketing channels, and they've got to work out which one's the priority for them. And often, they can maybe perceive social as being in quotes softer or like a longer term strategy than something which is like hard and focused and generating a, a lead like this week or something like that. So, firstly, where do you sit on that? And and then secondly, what should the goals be of a campaign like this based on those stories? Yeah, I'm really practical when it comes to social media. I think in order to get the maximum value out of it, it has to be aligned with your overall company goals. So if your goals are to increase sales, drive new leads, you know, retain current customers, and really kind of tell the story of your business and kind of why why you're in business, what your products and services kind of do in the market. I think that those are where, I guess, inherently, if you look across most businesses, they're going to have some level of those goals, right? And with social media, I always advise people on, well, where do your customers live in the first place, right? Because if you're B2B versus B2C, it's a different conversation. Dunkin' Donuts is hugely business to consumer, but they also need to, they're franchised. So they also need to recruit and attract franchisees. So they have different levels of stakeholders to communicate to, especially if you take it across the broader spectrum of they're now a publicly traded company. So the investor community is looking at what they do on these channels. There's a lot of ways you can take it depending on your goals. But I think if you're, so say you're a small business mom and pop retail shop, what I would be focused on is talking about driving foot traffic into my store or to my e-commerce website. I would be showing kind of what the products that we have, lots of great user-generated content around it, and really trying to showcase, okay, can I use these channels to attract more interest, to get people sharing? Maybe it's Christmas gift-giving season. What are my key pillars for the years that I can use campaigns to kind of work that marketing funnel and bring people either into my store or onto my website? And the great thing with the website bit is it's all measurable. So I always think e-commerce brands have a bit of a leg up because you can actually quantify what you're doing in social media 
to the sale. And a great example of that is I did a six-month contract at a company called Catapult Sports earlier this year, and they launched their first consumer wearable device called PlayerTech. And it's actually, it's kind of like a Fitbit for football. So football in the UK term, not the American term. So soccer, as we (laughs) Americans would say, it has bespoke metrics to someone that plays football would care about. So like top sprint speed, you know, heat map that you've covered on the pitch, um, you know, number of sprints you've done, lots of kind of great metrics. And it's all personalized to the position on the field that you play. So what's what was great about that is obviously football is a hugely you know, is a huge topic on social media, right? There's tons of, you know, tons of conversations around it. And what we really did to drive measurable sales in a very short time window for that brand was the team launched an influencer program and they partnered with people that were, you know, kind of micro influencers because there was not a big budget here at all, trust me. So working with micro influencers and bloggers that were, that were not only passionate about football, but also played it themselves. So finding teams and folks that would actually, we could send a device to have them try it out and have them write about their experience. And once people started to see more about this, not only did more influencers reach out to us and want to partner with us, but we also started getting huge amounts more of engagement on our social media channels. We grew the social media channels significantly. And you could actually see when paired with some very strategic advertising across Facebook and Instagram specifically, you could actually see the sales conversions coming out of that. And that was just through great content and also the influencer piece. And I think the influencer piece and the paid social when paired together was really when we started seeing kind of the the doubling and tripling of the fan base and more more kind of A, website traffic and then B, sales conversions. And that's what really moved the needle for us. So I think it's about thinking within the constraints of your business, how easy is it to, to convert a sale through social? You know, Is that the goal that you have? Because if you don't see social as maybe the sales channel, perhaps it's more about focusing on current customers and about customer retention, customer loyalty, and really turning your current tribe of customers into brand advocates and using kind of some of those content and stories that you can either collect through social or share across social to inspire the rest of your customer base. So I think there's a lot of uses. I I probably could go on for hours, but you know, if there's a specific scenario or something you wanted to talk through, we, we could also kind of go there as well. One of the things you mentioned there was using, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, to to boost the organic visibility that you're getting through influencers. And one of the big changes that everyone's talking about, and there's a lot of hype about at the moment, is this Facebook announcement. People's take on it is variously, the sky is falling, Facebook is dead for businesses. (laughs) Some people are saying this is just completely business as usual. Firstly, what's your take on it? And secondly, I guess the more important question is, where is Facebook going with this kind of update? So before I jump in into Facebook specifically, I think a great piece of advice to give marketers is that look at how much social media has changed and evolved over the years. I was just talking to you about how at Duncan, I was just looking at Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We ended up having Instagram launch, Pinterest, Vine, Snapchat, you know, the list goes on, right? Um, Especially if you go internationally. So I think if there's one thing in the social media ecosystem, it's that change is constant. And we as marketers, we have to be very nimble and flexible and roll with the punches because this is not the last time that Facebook is going to change something. 
you know, they might, if this doesn't work, they might change it back to something else. They're constantly tweaking their algorithm. So specific to this announcement, yes, it is a little bit of a doom and gloom picture painted for marketers, but I don't think we as marketers and people behind the brands should lose hope. I think really what Facebook is trying to do is say, listen, people want to see specific kinds of content. I mean, I would encourage everyone, if you if you go on your personal Facebook page, go in and pick a couple different pieces of brands or content and like them and see what happens consistently over, say, the period of a week. See how your algorithm changes in terms of the types of content you're seeing. It's always going to be very focused on what the end user wants to see and absorb. So if I always like my friend Sarah's content, I'm probably going to see her as one of the top few people when she comes into the feed. Or if I have notifications set on, say, my mom and dad, because I like to keep an eye on what they're doing and what they're up to on Facebook, because you never know there. Um, <laughs> Got to make sure they're they're staying in line back there in America. Um, but, but so Facebook understands and they're aware of what you're opting into seeing. So this is really at the epicenter of these changes, right? There's a reason why I think BuzzFeed Tasty followed me around for the better part of a year. <laughs> and I think I, I cooked a lots of crazy videos from them because I really liked the content. So I think this is the, the testament to brands is, listen, you're going to have to test and learn. You know, I don't think I have the one size fits all silver bullet, do X, Y, and Z and survive these changes. What Facebook is saying is we're going to make a shift to prioritize content that people care more about. So whatever that means, you know, it might not be content from brands. So you as the brand need to double down on what your customers are looking for and also look at the advertising solutions through Facebook, right? I mean, this is the not so kind of secret sauce, right? For years, Facebook has been shifting to prioritize paid advertising and content, that type of content from brands. I saw it happen at Dunkin' Donuts where we, I think my like top post of all time organic was the word donuts equals smiles and a picture of a smiley face donut. And it got, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, yellow smiley face donut, donuts equals smiles, little smiley face. This was before emojis. Um, <laughs> but the, the donut is actually like a smiley face emoji donut, which they still sell in store. Um, we, I think we got like 70,000 likes organically on that post which that doesn't happen anymore. And this is a brand with, I mean, I don't remember how many fans we had, the had at the time, probably between 10 and 13 million. That's pretty good, right? That doesn't happen anymore. And I saw specifically with the brand, how as the algorithm continued to shift, how our engagement on content changed. So that's the ball field that everyone is playing on. We had to invest more in a paid media strategy, figuring out, okay, well, we know that we want to have an always-on content strategy that is exciting and engaging and appeals to our fans and keeps them running and makes them smile and maybe even laugh. But we had to then double down when we looked across campaigns, key product launches and say, okay, where are we going to invest those paid dollars in? I'm probably not investing them in a post that says donuts equals smiles because you don't really have to. That's organically going to be a little bit more playful and engaging on its own but I might do it on the new big and toasted breakfast sandwich or the new product that no one's ever heard of. And it's going to be a little bit more, we really want to get that in front of the, the right target customer demographic. And I do have to say, I think that's where Facebook's done a great job because it can feel a bit complicated if 
you haven't done it before, but really, if you dig in into into kind of how to actually do ad targeting on Facebook, there's so many different options and ways that you can try and reach your target customer. And you can really play around with that ad targeting to figure it out and and see kind of where where the sweet spot is for your business. And it's funny because I, I say this having done this at Duncan before I then was able to onboard a media agency who taught me a whole lot more about it. And then also, you know, with player text, that's something that we were doing across Facebook and Instagram trying, well, okay, a lot of people like football, we, you know, we don't have a huge, you know, maybe spending 50, 75 pounds an ad, <laughs> you know, how, mm. you know, compared to Duncan, which might spend several thousand, you know, pounds an ad, I'm, I'm just kind of talking off the cuff, but um, mm. depending on what the campaign was, you know, or much more than that, depending on the campaign. So I think it's really all about figuring out, you know, a how to kind of create that right kind of advertising and organic mix, but then also test and learn and see if that channel actually delivers to you what you want, because that's really going to be the nature of the beast across channels like Facebook. You know, you might also want to experiment with Instagram or LinkedIn or other channels and see, well, where do we get the best return? Where where do we get the best response? So that's kind of where I think it's kind of an exciting part of marketing, even if it feels a bit daunting at times, because there are a lot more channel opportunities now than ever before to do this on. For sure. I guess the, the thing I'm hearing from you is that if you're, if you're creating engaging content that people actually like, you stand a much better chance of getting through these updates than if you're creating boring stuff. But if you're creating boring stuff, people might be seeing it. They probably aren't already. <laughs> but even if they're seeing it, it's meaningless anyway, isn't it? If you're, just, if you're just pushing out, you know, you see people all the time who are just posting their website link, you know, five times a day, or they're yeah. posting content that just gets no engagement. That sort of stuff really is the writing's been on the wall for, for like five years, hasn't it? Let's be honest. Absolutely. And I also think you're going to see a couple other things. You know, the content's hugely going to matter, but I also think who posts the content is going to become more important because you're going to see two big trends, you know, continue. They're already trends, right? But they're going to become more prominent, which are influencer marketing as well as employee advocacy programs. So, especially if you're a B2B company, actually empowering your employees, your sales force to share content on your behalf. There's research from LinkedIn shows that you get a almost sometimes even 30x boost on the content that you share, depending on how large your company is. So I'm sure that kind of research is across large enterprise companies, right? But even if you're a small business on the B2B side, if you start to have your employees sharing content that you're producing as the business, that's going to become much more engaging. Like I see personally with my LinkedIn, I don't spend any money to advertise on LinkedIn about kind of my business and the work that I do. You know, it's it's a little bit hit and miss, I'll be honest, but some posts I get like 10,000 views across, you know, very kind of premium, you know, C-suite level executives. And it's it's amazing the kind of reach that you can get when you when your content starts to take off on LinkedIn. So obviously there'll be a saturation point there at some point. But I do think it's that those kind of strategies of not, it's important to own your content as the brand and, and share that content. But I also think being more creative and empowering employees to share your content with a little bit of their personal spin on it, sharing like a link to an article or a white paper, or perhaps just some exciting behind the scenes things that are happening really allows your brand to break through and show different sides of who your company is. I love that. That's such a unique perspective on it as well. If Facebook's going to prioritize friends and family, well, just 
get your employees to be their friends and share it that way. I love that. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about Snapchat because oh. how we actually found you was through an amazing article that you've written about Snapchat. And it still feels like it's one of the networks that's kind of on the periphery of business awareness. And for a time it was like, right, you've got to be on Snapchat. You've really got to be on Snapchat. And then Instagram stories kind of came up and it's like, oh, okay, maybe we got away with ignoring Snapchat. <laughs> Like, where, where do you see Snapchat's place today? And perhaps we can start by how are some big brands using Snapchat in super cool ways? What's exciting to me about Snapchat is Snapchat is really trying to position itself as a camera company. And what makes differentiates them compared to, say, Instagram or Facebook or other channels is they continue to be the disruptor, the one that really kind of sets the tone for the industry in a way that's hugely exciting. So one way that they've done this is through augmented reality. And, you know, I think when lenses first came out, I don't think we realized just how hugely satisfying it would be to turn your head into a giant taco <laughs> and, you know, things like that, that are really <laughs> funny and bizarre, but actually no matter what age you are, it's actually quite an entertaining thing. And granted, you know, the millennial and kind of younger Gen Z audiences really started to take on to Snapchat because disappearing messages, it's a bit, maybe there's a cheeky element to it or a goofy element to it. But also, that's what I love about it. So for companies, the best advice I can give is figure out, do you have kind of probably a more millennial or Gen Z type audience that you're looking to engage with? If so, Snapchat could be a great channel for you. The proof is in the pudding in the sense that it's not just kind of big, massive consumer brands like Dunkin' Donuts that are doing a great job on Snapchat. Companies like Cisco are actually doing hugely creative things there. One example that I wrote about in the article is they actually do an employer branding campaign called hashtag we are Cisco. And they do do it across all of their social media channels. But I think Snapchat really, to me, is kind of the heart and soul of this campaign. And Cisco is a company that does want to recruit millennials and kind of the next generations to come and work at Cisco. And they don't want to be perceived as kind of the big tech behemoth. They want to be perceived as an exciting, innovative company to grow your career at. And what they do is they actually let different employees take over their Snapchat channel and share kind of a day in the life, something that inspires them. And they do have to go through some kind of brand compliance before they do this. They have to go through some required training type programs to kind of be, you know, given the, the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. But what I love about it is they've had millions of minutes of Snapchat stories viewed through this exercise. And it's actually also attracted the attention of other companies that they partner with because a lot of the big tech companies, it's not just kind of their products and services. They have huge partner ecosystems. And NASDAQ actually approached them to partner with them during a women's conference and kind of combine efforts to do a really cool takeover of NASDAQ Snapchat to basically help NASDAQ help them grow their Snapchat following. So I think it's quite, quite amazing. And I think the, the best advice I can give you, um, which I, I feel like I sound like a broken record here, is you have to understand the behavior of your customers on Snapchat to, to activate it successfully. I launched Snapchat for Dunkin' Donuts and I remember it was so funny. Like I didn't really know how to use it at first. So I had to spend some time first getting to learn how it worked on my own. 
I had my intern who was really into it, help me out. And actually his 10 year old cousin, we did a conference call with her because she knew like all these cool tricks on Snapchat that we didn't (laughs) even know how to do. We're like, how do you make the text like this color? Or like, how did you do that? He's like, you have to follow my cousin. She's like, she's just like amazing on it. So we were like, how do you do this? She's like, guys, so easy. And we're like, oh no. Now we feel old. Um, But, you know, that was kind of our first step is we need to learn how to use this as practitioners. So I followed a lot of brands. I learned how to use it. And then we basically, we had the Dunkin' Donuts account live and we just kind of sat back and started to see who was engaging with us. So we started getting like proactive kind of follows and snaps from people. So whenever someone would follow us, we would send them back a personal message that says like, thank you for following us. Like, we love you. And just a picture of a coffee or a donut kind of thing. And they'd be like, oh my God, it is you. (laughs) And those are the kind of (laughs) responses we would get back because we get some pictures, we just get some friend requests. And that's really how we started doing it. And granted, it was quite labor intensive. We'd spend at least an hour a day just kind of doing this super guerrilla style and just starting to figure out, well, how are fans interacting with us on Snapchat? So then we, once we kind of started to have some insights, probably over like a two week period, we started to then test out proactive content. So, you know, all the kind of same stuff that, that you would see across Dunkin' Donuts other channels, we focused it a bit more on kind of the cool behind the scenes, a little less kind of structured just because it is quite a cool job. It's a very exciting company. They have a secret test kitchen. So taking people kind of behind the scenes to meet the manager of Donut Excellence, watch him kind of decorate a donut, you know. uh, So all of those kind of things, as well as just kind of some funny and goofy stuff that we just, you know, if we had our iced coffee mascot at an event or a new store opening, getting him to like kind of dance for us and just do some funny things for Snapchat really started to be kind of fun and engaging content. So we started to build it off of that a bit more. And then when we had product launches, that's when we would really double down. So a great example of that is in the United States, pumpkin coffee and lattes every fall is like the biggest thing ever for coffee companies. There's such a cult following behind it. And every year, all of the coffee companies try and launch pumpkin, all of their pumpkin kind of muffins, donuts, coffees before each other. Like who's going to launch pumpkin first? So we started doing some interesting... So we basically used kind of pumpkin one year to kind of... We basically teased and released the the launch of all of our pumpkin menu items on Snapchat before we did it on any other channel. So we did it like two hours before we released it everywhere else as a way to be like, if you want to be the first to get this exclusive information come follow us on Snapchat. So I think there's a lot of clever ways you can use it. But specifically in this article, um, I tried to take it to the next level because there's a lot of cool everyday behind the scenes stuff you can and should be doing on Snapchat. But what really inspired me was companies that were kind of upping the creative ante. And one that I loved came from Casper, which is a very hot mattress startup that's really kind of taken an industry that's, again, not the most exciting of industries, mattresses, and made it actually really a very kind of cool industry again. And their whole thing is instead of just selling people mattresses, we're actually going to talk a lot more about how people sleep. And you can see this across their social media channels and specifically people that have problems with sleeping. So they do a lot of funny things about catering to insomniacs. And one that I loved is 
you know, those nights, like when you just don't want to go out and you'd rather just be kind of sitting on your couch with like a pint of ice cream or, you know, whatever, whatever you're, you Every know. night, mate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, it's like a whole thing of pizza. Um, <laughs> but say like you, you know, your friends are peer pressuring you. They're all going out. They want you to come out and you're just like, sorry, guys, I already have plans. Can't do it. Well, they've created these late night snap packs that you can basically put your smartphone up to the screen of the website and take like record a little bit of the B-roll that makes it look like you're actually out having fun, <laughs> but not with your friends. <laughs> so cut, yeah, so totally goofy, right? That's such a good idea. <laughs> so it's again, it's it's focused on value, adding value to the customer base, entertaining, making them smile. And it's, it's a great way to kind of boost customer engagement. They're obviously not trying to sell mattresses through doing this, but they're trying to build a community around kind of their customers and a tribe of loyalists who just love them. And when we think about algorithm changes and all of these kinds of things, think about it. This is very customer-centric, hilarious types of content. They're like, yeah, I want to try that, you know? So I absolutely really love that. And let's see, another example that I thought was really interesting comes from the nonprofit sector, um, or actually the government sector, I should say, which could apply to nonprofits as well. So the UK, <laughs> um, the UK Department of Transport did a geofilter on Snapchat. And especially if you're a small business, I think geofilters are a great strategy because Snapchat has done a great job in opening up kind of the, now anyone can create a geofilter. The, I did a stint at a creative agency in London and the creative director there kept trying to like make a geo filter of his like face for the agency, <laughs> which I don't kept getting rejected because his head was too big. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but basically like the, the beauty in it is anyone can actually now create a geo filter around their business. So if you're a small business and you have a physical, whether it's your office that clients are coming into or you have a retail operation, it's actually a really clever way to build some extra engagement around your brand if you have a customer audience who's on Snapchat. And how cool would that be if you're in a client meeting and can be like, yeah, you can actually like post something from visiting our office with our geo filter. It's just another cool thing, especially if you're, say, in the creative industries to show kind of what you can do. So what I loved about the one from the UK Department of Transport is they wanted to promote a new roadside swab um, and really discourage their millennial millennial audience of kind of drinking or doing drugs and getting behind the wheel. So they created a brilliant geo filter that showed someone behind prison bars with the copy like drive high, the roads, the roadside swab will catch you. And, you know, it's, it's a really great way just to reinforce that, that this is, you know, the UK, the UK is cracking down more on driving high uh, around illegal drug and drinking use while driving. And this is something that they're taking very seriously. And they're bringing the message to the audience where they spend the most of their time. Now, it's worth calling out, they actually generated a bit of controversy for doing this because they did spend money to advertise on Snapchat doing this, which some people thought, well, maybe a, U a UK government agency shouldn't advertise on Snapchat. And listen, there's pros and cons to it. Advertising on Snapchat is not inexpensive per se. But I think what's a really important message around this is that, especially if you're a nonprofit, it's a great way to reach that millennial audience. And they might not be able, they might not see a TV commercial. They might not, they might not open up an email, but they will see it happening on Snapchat. For sure. And they're actually going to engage with it rather than just ignoring it. 
Exactly. And another application that I actually loved came from Birchbox. And Birchbox is a company that allows you to have subscription boxes filled with kind of makeup and skincare products that they send you each month. And they actually started to test customer service on Snapchat because they realized they were getting lots of questions from their customers through Snapchat. So they started to dedicate different times during the week for like an hour, two hours to actually field calls through Snapchat to actually physically talk to their customers and and actually let them be able to see their faces of the people kind of behind the Birchbox Snapchat. And what what's kind of cool about this and something I always recommend to companies that are in this type of company is if you can act as a an advisor or a concierge in any kind of way on social media, whether it's through Snapchat, through Twitter, through any of the channels that you do, actually building that one-to-one relationship with the customer is a huge way to sell them. So if you're in the B2B industry, why not have office hours where people can pick your experts' brains? You know, I worked at Sprinkler and I did tons of social media advisory and workshops as part of my job for companies. And I could talk to these big brands and say, listen, I've been through some of the things that you're going through. You can pick my brain for 30 minutes or an hour and actually offer you some of this bespoke advice. And I think it's a great way to use some of the voice or say Facebook Live, Instagram Live. There's a lot of great ways you can do this, either broadcasting to many or perhaps taking some of that one-to-one advice you've just given one customer and then actually turning that into a piece of content that you can share with others. Because not every customer might want to be your guinea pig on a live stream, but some might might do it for kind of that personalized advice. And I love it both in that context and in a customer service context, because especially if, if you're a millennial or actually what I thought was funny about Birchbox's example is a lot of moms started calling them through their daughters. They're like, they basically moms and daughters would get on together and moms started asking advice as well, just as much as the daughters were for different makeup and skincare products. So I thought that was quite an interesting discovery. And again, anytime you can build more connections, to your customers, to me, that's a win. Love that. Love that. Jessica, I want to ask you about visual storytelling. Obviously you, you wrote the power of visual storytelling and Oh, before we get started, perhaps we could just talk about what exactly is visual storytelling and how does it relate to, uh, to, to businesses that might be listening to the show? Yeah, so visual storytelling for me, the, the book was inspired off of the drastic changes in social media. So I remember the very first Facebook post I did for Dunkin' Donuts was a huge brick of text. We didn't even think about the visual. But then you've seen how Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all of these channels are now visual first. You open up your newsfeed on Facebook, whether it's on desktop or mobile, all you're looking at are the images and the videos that you're seeing. And that's really what inspired our book is we know that we want to use different kind of digital and social media channels to tell our brand story, but it's just as important now to do it visually as it is through the text that you use. Because trust me, storytelling is storytelling is not a lost art in, in, the, in the form of text-based storytelling. The narrative itself is still just as important as ever. But scientific research shows that the human brain actually processes visuals 60,000 times faster than they do text. And, you know, yeah, isn't that isn't that an amazing That's insane, isn't it? Isn't it? So so if you think about research like that and actually I have another good stat for you. 90% of information that is transmitted to the brain is also visual. So we are hardwired to think visually. So if you are a brand that is 
trying to market across even email, your website, social, and other digital channels, if you can actually take your visuals and tell a story through them, it's, that's, the, that's the lead gen, right? That's the attention grabber. That's what people are going to zero in on. And you want to use that visual to pull someone into the message absorb it, but then also want to dig in more to the text and the bigger story and the action that you're trying to drive around it. So that's really, that's, that to me is what inspired the book is it's part kind of the scientific reason, but also just seeing how social and digital has evolved. And I, I, you know, really in the book, what we go into is how you can use different visual formats, like images, videos, infographics, memes, GIFs, even like slide share presentations. There's more kind of visual um, mediums than ever before for us to tell their story. And the magic really has become in the mix based on kind of depending on the company or the products and services that you have. And in this book, we, we delve into kind of why each visual medium matters, how to do it across different social media channels, plus companies that are getting it right in the space. And we also have a step-by-step roadmap chapter on how to build a visual storytelling strategy for your business as well. So perhaps we could go through a very quick version of the, the, the process that people start to think about stories for themselves. I'm conscious that pretty much everything we've talked about today is about identifying mini stories which are going to resonate with, it, with an audience, right? It seems like everything around social is is just, or everything around successful social let's say is in a sense a bit of a story it absolutely is and there's a good reason behind that is stories are much more memorable than just a, a clever piece of copy right you know when we talk to each other in stories i bet you know based on today people will remember you know stories that i share about dunkin donuts and specific things that that i realized about customers having those micro moments on the weekends or on monday morning those are more memorable than just a you know i could have the the cutest piece of copy out there but if you tell a story it pulls your emotions it causes you to feel something you know it could be something more heartwarming it could be funny it could be kind of inspiring. And that's really where the art of storytelling comes in. And you can do that in a visual way. You kind of feel yourself leaning in as soon as you detect that there's a story going on, don't you? Absolutely. I, I think it's so powerful for me. And I mean, when I think about, you know, kind of all, even all elements of my life, that's where a lot, a lot of kind of the, you know, the best memories you have with your friends, your family, your colleagues in business, there's always a story behind it, right? Yeah. And why can't we use that in a business context? You know, businesses have just as many stories behind them as people do. And they have so many layers to them. It's almost like the the many layers of an onion in a sense of how do you peel back kind of all of those layers and show people different sides of yourself. So, you know, for me, like putting it in the context of, of say, Dunkin' Donuts, it's it's not just the food and the beverages that we sell. It's the people that work in the retail stores. It's what inspires a new product to come to market? It's it's what a wonderful place it is to work and some of the amazing things the company does for its employees. So to me, that's that's really where the magic is. And and I think if we can tap into that, you know, really kind of the the strategy piece of it that I wrote about in the book, it's a lot of it is what I've talked to you about today. It's really about auditing and analyzing kind of your current state, you know, where, you know, what are really kind of doing a lot of brainstorming and exercising on, well, what are my business goals? And what are the amazing stories that I can tell to 
showcase how our business, you know, really meets our target customers needs and not do it in such a marketing centric way, you know, really think maybe more about user case studies or inspiring ways people are consuming or using or wearing the product. So, you know, if you're a fashion brand, how are people styling the clothes that you're using? How, how does kind of a great dress make someone feel? How does, you know, when, when you, when you try kind of a new shade of lipstick, does it really kind of brighten up your day a bit? You know, there's lots of little stories depending on on where you go and dig there. Yeah. This is such a powerful concept. I love that. We've we've got to wrap up now, unfortunately, Jessica. But it's been a really interesting insight into um, it, yeah, into into your approach with social. And I think listeners are going to have so many ideas for how they can take what they're doing to the next level. Where can people find out more about you? Follow you, of course, and check out the book. Yes. So on Twitter, I am at savvy Bostonian. So I am originally from Boston. And um, I have a website, jessicajolio.com. And you can also find me. I am on every social media channel, either as Jessica Jolio or Savvy Bostonian. And feel free to connect on LinkedIn or check out my website. Perfect. And we'll link all of that up in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us, Jessica. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. It's been such a delight to speak with you today. 